you would, please take your Bibles out and for the final time, turn them over to the book of Daniel, where we conclude our study this morning. As you know, we have been making our way through Daniel, I think, since about March of last year, and today we come to the conclusion of a very timely book, a very complex book that's had much to say to us about ancient culture, a prophecy, and how God was able to pinpoint history several hundred years before it takes place. But we know that there have been many themes in the book of Daniel that have been compelling us to ask questions of ourselves. It's not a matter of if hardship will come. It's a matter of when. And the question is always going to be, what will we do? How will we respond? Will we respond in faith by being faithful, or will we respond faithlessly and choosing to succumb to broader culture? And we see it already in our world. We see it happening. We see certain uh, groups that choose to succumb to the cultural ideas of what truth should be or how things should be done. And then we see people who make bold stands for truth and the gospel. And Daniel would challenge us to say, yes, we can't live as if we're going to somehow evade the suffering, the trial, the hardship. So the question is, is when it does come, how shall we respond? How shall we live in the face of the onslaught of the world? And the end of this book is really no different. He continues to lay the groundwork of preparation for the people of God. And so I don't want to spend too much time delaying. This morning we come to the final paragraph in Daniel chapter 12. We'll start in verse 5 and go to the end of the chapter in verse 13. So, beloved of God, this is God's infallible, inerrant word. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time, or time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing. Please pray with me now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its depth, its richness, its power. We thank you for the beauty and truth therein. And Father, we thank you that it is real and living and active, and that it does have the power to transform. I pray that this morning you would transform us. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. I remember one time reading about a parable that uh, Simon Kierkegaard told of, it was a parable, uh, trying to make a point, but it was this audience was at this theater at a variety show, 
and the theater or the variety show was very entertaining to this particular audience. They were very into it and very moving. But during the show, one of the managers of the theater comes out and says, the theater is on fire. We need to leave. We need to exit the building in an orderly manner. Well, the audience, thinking that it was part of the variety show, just laughed and clapped and applauded and did not move. Well, the manager, a little bit more urgently, again, said, no, 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 we need to exit the building. The building is on fire. We have to get out of here. We are going to die. And again, the people roariously laughed and clapped, thinking that this was just the fun of the show. Well, eventually, the building did burn down, and the audience perished in the fire. And it's gripping because what you have is you have a group of people who, to the thunderous applause and clap and laughing, accept their doom in the end. They accept burning to death. They welcomed death and flame with laughter and applause. I can't think of a more apt description of the present culture that we live in that looks around with people telling truth and trying to say, this is not all there is. There's more to life than this. There is a judgment coming. And people receive that news so flippantly as to perhaps laugh it off and to live their lives as if the truth of the gospel has no bearing. Now, one of the reasons that's true is because the, man of, the heart of man is desperately wicked and needs the gospel to transform it. But another reason that's true is because human beings in a natural straight, uh, state are programmed to reject God's truth because sin is so entrenched in that heart, that sin has to be broken by the power of the gospel. So when I think of this parable, it is a very apt description. The world does laugh. laugh. The world does applaud. The world does live for pleasure. But beloved of God, judgment is coming. The wrath of God is real. God's justice is real. And it will lay bare everything that we know, see, taste, touch, hear, and smell. And so Daniel is kind of ending this book very consistently. He's ending the book the same way he's written the whole thing. God's people are going to suffer. He says it. Judgment is absolutely coming. He says it. And we will be delivered in the end. We get another allusion here with the mention of Daniel to the resurrection. So all these themes that we've been batting around in Daniel are present right here in the very end. And it makes sense that this is how he would end. Now, there is debate on how we understand this present paragraph. Of course, there's debate on, you know, who the man clothed in linen is. There's debate on what the 1,290 days means. There's debate on why you get 45 added days to 1,335. There's debate on what the times, times, and half a time means. So if it can be debated, they'll debate it here. And so all these things are debated in terms of how people understand it. And we'll set that aside for just a moment and say, despite those debates and despite how differently people may understand those times and numbers, one thing that almost all agree on are the themes, that we must know the truth, and that we must choose faithfulness in hard times, and that it is by means of the truth and by means of God's active work in the heart that we do choose faithfulness. And so we need to keep that straight. However we understand the prophecies and the time, you know, it's not, I won't say it's completely immaterial. But as long as we can keep the theme together of we are looking at God or Daniel being told in a vision, it's gonna, there's going to be trials. Then I'm going to bring judgment. And those who persevere will be blessed. How will they be blessed? Well, Daniel being an example, 
is they'll stand in, or you'll stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So, love, we're having this, yes, it's still hard. Yes, it's still going to be difficult. And yes, you can persevere. What we're doing here is we're, as has been the whole time, we've been given history from God's perspective. And though there are struggles and trials, as He promises there will be, we have victory, you and me. If we're in Christ this morning, we have victory in Christ over the kingdom of darkness. We have victory over those things that we feel so helpless against. We have victory over the very powers that would seek to lord over us and tyrannize us. Why? Not because we're strong in and of ourselves, but because, beloved of God, if you're in Christ this morning and you're a new creature, and if you are in Christ, you are a new creature, then God has given you a life that can't be squelched, that can't be thwarted, that the darkness cannot overcome. That's what we're told in John chapter 1. In him was the light of life, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that same light lives in you and me. But as Daniel does here, by using phrases like time of the end or the end of days, Daniel is keeping God's sovereignty at the forefront of the message. He's making sure that we understand, despite circumstances, even when we look around our world, what I think happening in Ukraine is awful. I wish it wasn't happening. But that does not mean that God is not sovereign. God is ordaining all things, all things, working them together for the good of His people. Well, that, that, that passage in Romans 8.28 is not a throwaway passage. I mean, even when we look at the hard, the hard providences in our world, even those work together for the good of those who are the called, who, who are loved and the called according to His purposes. And so Daniel is reminding that. He's reminding us that God is not aloof, that God is not absent in the valley of shadow. He is leading us on to future glory. He is leading us on to the place of final rest and hope. He is leading us on to that place where we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter the rest of the kingdom. So that's the direction we're going. And so he's not absent. He's not indifferent, and he's not blind. You know, I, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I feel like evil days won't end. I feel like they won't. It just feels like it's just going to keep going and keep going, keep going. Or sometimes it feels like perhaps we won't reach that promised end. It feels so far away that we start questioning, is it real? Is there really promise there? Is there really hope there? Am I really going to see our days renewed? Am I really going to stand in the presence of God one day without a hint of shame? Yes, it is true. And on the days that we don't believe it, it's the days we need to preach it to ourselves even more and more and more and more. Daniel is reminding us that God already wrote the story. He's simply leading us through it. The story is written. He's leading us through it. And so with those thoughts in mind, there's one idea I want for us to see. It's this. The days of shattering that are mentioned here, the days of turmoil, the days of hardship are numbered, but the days of glory are eternal. The days of shattering are numbered, but the days of glory are eternal. When we think about this, we're looking at this particular passage. Um, 
the word shattering, I'm drawing right from verse 7 here. That's the literal translation of what, what is happening to the people of God under God's uh, careful watch. And so that we know that this shattering of the people of God, it's still, it's still part of the sovereign plan of the Creator. We're still involved in a plan that God set. Now, here's how we have to think about this. The people of God are shattered in the process of being made whole. So what's happening is, is as we live our lives and we go through these shatterings and shatterings and shatterings and shatterings, that we are being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So that on the final day, when we stand before God and we get those resurrection bodies, we will have achieved what our whole lives have been moving toward, is new creation, new life, new heavens, new earth, no more pain, no more sin, no more death, no more sadness, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more hurt, no more shame, no more fear. None of the things that mark out humans in their natural state are us in this middle earth as we're making our way, none of those things will define us anymore. And that's hopeful. And so, yes, we are shattered for a season that we might be whole forever. And that's an encouraging thought to me. When we look at these uh, passages of Scripture, verses 5 through 7, of course, 5 and 6 are giving us description of angels and the man clothed in linen or the one clothed in linen. And through these three verses, we are seeing, this, as this vision kind of is being brought to an end, we get the first of what is considered to be two fundamental questions from this paragraph. Two fundamental questions are asked here. So just real briefly, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And so this first question, we're leading up to it. These two angels that he sees on the banks of the literally stream or river, well, if you remember, this vision kind of started back in chapter 10, verse 4. The river Daniel mentions was the Tigris River, so that's assume we're still there, that these two angels are standing on the banks of the Tigris River. And he mentions here in verse 6, and someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end? We'll get to that question in just a second. So the other one clothed in linen who's standing over the waters of the stream, literally, if you think about it, kind of almost levitating, floating above them, is the same one mentioned in Daniel chapter 10, verse 5, the one clothed in linen that had the vision of divinity about him. So these men started the vision, or these angels rather, started the vision, and they are bringing it to a close. So this one who's clothed in linen, who is over the waters, he is first addressed by one of the angels who is present. The ESV says, and someone said to him, and literally, and one of them said to the man clothed in linen. So the someone is not as ambiguous as it might appear. The someone is one of the angels. This is not Daniel speaking here. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And so we get our first question. An angel asks, how long? Now, when we think about that question, that is not an uncommon question in Scripture, is it? We see it in the Psalms all the time, usually in a lament type. How long, O oh Lord, how long will you forget us? How long will you let the nations rage? How long will you let us feel the pain of judgment? So this question there's a longing to it. There's a lament to it. How long must we walk this path? That type of question. Now, of course, coming from the angel, it's peculiar. 
because the angel is not experiencing things in the way that the human race is. And so there is this curiosity for the angel to say, how long, Lord, until you show your glory? Now, we could make some speculations as to when this question is answered. Some could even look at the coming of Christ, the incarnation, as the beginning of God showing His glory to the world. Of course, it goes back further than that. But if we're moving in a, in a, in a human history direction, we're, getting, we're beginning to see for this how long question to be answered, Christ has to come <laughs> because He is the one who is going to break the power of evil. He crushes the serpent's head. He breaks the power of death. He breaks the power of sin. And so we long. This Daniel, this Old Testament book here, is longing for Jesus. Now, he asked the question, how long? And the man or the one in linen begins to answer him. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, excuse me, times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Now, firstly, by lifting his hands, the text makes very clear what he's doing. He's not just raising his right hand to heaven and swearing. He's raising both hands before God, and he's not only making an oath that, in other words, What I'm about to say is absolutely true. He's actually saying, God, bear witness to what I'm about to say. The Lord bear witness. This is the Lord's word to you. These are not merely my words. This is God's message, what I'm about to say. So in this way, he's hands outstretched to heaven saying, God, bear witness and put your stamp of approval on what I'm about to say. Then he gives us this cryptic time thing, time, times, and half a time. And of course, the natural question is, is what does that mean? Is it three and a half years? Is it some sort of mention of a season? Are we meant to take it completely symbolic? Are we meant to take it completely literal? Are we meant to take it in some combination of symbolism and literalism? All these questions we have to come to and we ask. But most people understand that time, times, and half a time to be three and a half years. And even if they don't take the three and a half years, like not literally a three and a half year, but a three and a half year period, um, some people say, well, no, it's just a symbol of a time that happens for these evil events to unfold, and then God brings it to an end. I'm probably more compelled by the symbolic view just because I don't know that we're trying to get a tight season of numbers here, and and sometimes you have to do gymnastics to make those numbers work out. So what I think we're looking at here is a symbolic view of these these times, times, and half times, a time set by God for these things to happen. What is going to happen? The people of God are going to be shattered during that time. That's what he says, the power of the holy people shattered until it's finished. You know what a great commentary on Daniel 12 is? Is Revelation chapter 11. If you go to Revelation chapter 11, what you'll find there is in the first 14 verses at least, you've got the two witnesses who come to earth to bear witness. They come to earth and they bear witness. They preach the message of God. And what happens to them during that time? I'll sum it up for you. They're hated. They're persecuted. People don't want their message. The people rage against these two witnesses. 
They rage against them, and they rage against them, and they rage against them until they finally just kill them and are done with them. And the world rejoices and throws parties and gives gifts in exchange over the death of the two witnesses sent by God. The holy people in this particular scenario have been shattered. Now, however we understand the two witnesses in Revelation, there are different views. It's immaterial to our point this morning. The point is, is when we look at that, we can see a very similar uh, progression as we see here in Daniel 12. They preached and they were killed, and, and it looks like their power is brought to an end. By the time that they die, it looks like they have brought, been brought to the end by the power of evil. But what happens to those two witnesses, if you remember the story or if you're there, they're raised up. And what looked like the ultimate death of the church was wrong. What looked like the ultimate death of God's message and God's people was wrong. And God raised her up, showing that evil will not have ultimate power over his people. Beloved, we live in an age where evil flourishes. It does. And if you're like me, you look at it sometimes, you think, how will we ever deal with this? How will, will this ever really die? Can evil, will this evil really finally and fully die? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> evil will die. We are reminded in Revelation that death and all its power and all wickedness is cast into the lake of fire forever. Beloved of God, take heart. Evil is a passing shadow. I got that from Tolkien. Evil is a passing shadow that will be dispelled by the light. And we have to take heart. Evil is not eternal. It does not last forever. Its day is sealed. God has sealed it. And so you and I, as the people of God, are shattered. We go through the different trials and tribulations, and we have yet more to go through. But let me remind us that this morning we are held in the grip of God's grace, and that is a grip that nothing can be wrenched from. If you are held in the grip of God's grace, then you cannot be wrenched from that gracious grip. So that's the first question in verse 8. I heard, now this is Daniel speaking, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall the outcome of these things, or what shall be the outcome of these things? So, not only how long, what is the end of it going to be? What is Daniel driving at here? I'm, I'm convinced that the reason he's asking this question is he's getting back to the simple idea of what is our hope? What is the ultimate hope of the people of God? Driving us back to one of the fundamental questions in the book of Daniel, what is our hope? Is our hope that we will merely survive, or is it our hope that we will stand in eternal life with God forever? Well, it's the second one of those. It's the second one of those. We should take heart here that, as Daniel says in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. So we're in good company when we come to the book of Daniel, and, it doesn't, and you know, we don't understand it right at first uh, pass. Even Daniel didn't understand everything. And what does this remind us? That we all, we all that all of us, every single one of us, need the Lord. We need the Lord. We, we need the Lord to intervene. We need the Lord to make plain what is unclear. We need the Lord to understand His Word. We need the Lord to make sense of our world. I don't know how people who 
have other worldviews really make sense of so much, many questions that are left unanswered outside the biblical worldview. I mean, I know the worldviews and I know how they answer the questions, but they're just hopeless frameworks. This reminds us we need the framework of God at work in our lives. It's interesting. He said, I heard, but I didn't understand. And I said, oh, my Lord, what is the outcome of these things? He said to me, his answer is, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Now, at first pass, you might think that's just a dismissal. I'm not answering your question, just go away. Well, that's not what he's saying here. This imperative command for Daniel to go, it's not a dismissal. You know what it is? It's a command to go and live your life. Go live life. Do what I've called you to do. Be faithful in your station. Live faithfully to the truth. Let the words of Scripture inform everything. So it's not a dismissal, it's a command to go and live, to not be cowered in fear by what he knows is coming down the pike, but to live his life because God is in control. And he speaks again of the words being sealed. We've already seen that. We know that it means the words are true, that they're attested. We also know that it means they're protected, that they can't be altered or changed. But in some senses, this is they're being saved for something. And many people, and I find this compelling, I think I mentioned this last week, see this, these words are sealed up until they are mediated by Christ. That when Christ comes to open the seal of the scroll and to read God's judgments to the earth, that's when the full and final reading of this scroll of these words are heard. And there's, there's nothing specific in this text that links it to that, but it is a compelling idea. It is a compelling idea. But when we see this, these sealed words, they're true, they're protected, they're mediated by Christ, we understand that what we're being told here is God is ordering all history and He's moving it in a very specific direction. Like, we're not just dust in the wind, as Kansas would say, um, you know, and we're not, well, I could think of a few other references, but you get the point. Um, we are moving in a direction, a direction that God has set, a direction that God has set, in fact, if we take uh, Ephesians 1 at face value and before the foundations of the world we were saved and elected in Christ, then we know that before the foundation of the world, God had a set trajectory, a set end that He was going to be moving His creation to. And so, beloved, sometimes when things feel so purposeless or they feel like there's really no meaning to this or we wonder, why wow, we need to be reminded of the God who's over all things, who is moving this in a very specific direction. He's ordering history that way. And how, how does God tell us that the people of God are to reframe the shattering that takes place? We're shattered, we're persecuted, we're hurt, we have trials. How are we to reframe how we understand those things? Well, verse 10, purify themselves, make themselves white, be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. How do we understand the hardships that we must um, endure as the refinement of God, as the refinement that God uses to refine His people and beloved? I wish there were another way, but the most effective way of refining human beings is putting them through the crucible. That is true in my life. I dare say it's true in yours. Because the seasons we learn best in are the seasons where it is a bitter winter and there is much toil. 
And so God says, reframe this. Now, he's not saying, hey, just wink at it and say, well, that's no big deal. Lament, weep, be sad. Allow the pain to do its job. It hurts. But recognize that God is doing something in these seasons that he would not otherwise do if you weren't experiencing this particular event. But interestingly, but the wicked shall act wickedly. In other words, they don't change. They continue to remain in their wicked state. And he says, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So the wicked act wickedly. They don't change. They live in ignorance of the truth. But the righteous, the wise, they're shown to be, if we could use this Imitators of God, imitators of Christ, those who seek to live out the truth of God and live in the imitation of God. But the wicked live in ignorance of the truth. The righteous are the wise, those who know the truth and live it out. The wicked are those who thumb their nose and say, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's the highest good. Verse 11 actually expands on the question asked in verse 6. We were asked in verse 6, how long? And verse 11 kind of begins to answer that a little bit more in depth. And from the time of the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So 1,290 days is approximately three and a half years. And if you were to go to Revelation 11 and the witnesses, I think their witness on the earth was 1,250 days or 60 days, whatever. It's one of those. And so you see some parallels here. But the question we must ask is, is there are a few things going on. When we read and that from the time of the regular burnt offering is taken away, we must naturally go right back to Antiochus IV, who killed the worship of God in Israel while he was persecuting them. And I think that's a picture. I think that's a historical picture, but that's not the fullness of this. This is kind of using that picture as an example of talking about the suppression and the oppression of God's worship and His people living in a period of persecution. That's why I don't think it's necessarily, uh, we don't have to take it necessarily completely literal. He's using a vivid picture in the memory of the people of God to remind them, you remember that? Well, yeah, that's going to keep happening again and again and again for this time, for this designated time. Now, why use 1,290 days? It's kind of enigmatic, actually, why he would pick that, unless it's supposed to coincide with the times, times, and half a times. But I think the point is, is to say it is a period, it's a long period, but it's a numbered period, that those days are numbered, that that will not go on forever, that those days have an end in sight. And the abomination and the thing that makes desolate here is much larger than Antiochus. It's the long war that the people of God must fight in the spiritual realm. It's the 1290 days. It's the period of time where the church is called to bear witness to the truth of God, and we will see success, and we will see hardship, and I think eventually there will come a time where it will look like the church of God is dead. God will raise her up because the gates of hell or death do not prevail against the church of God. And in that we have hope. So evil is given this specified time under God's sovereign control to have its day and then to be, then to be done. Now, then 12 kind of makes it a little bit more complicated. 
Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. So what he just did was add 40 days to the 1290, or 45 days rather, to the 1290. And why? Why do this? I think this gives us a little bit more insight as to this should be taken a bit more symbolically. Yeah, if you can last the 1290 days, well, blessed is the one who lasts even longer than that. Blessed is the one who perseveres. Blessed is the one who endures even beyond what looks unendurable. And why will that one endure? Why will that one persevere? Because the Spirit of God is at work in that one. And so we're getting this clue of, hey, that's going to be hard and for 1290 days, yes, this period of time, but guess what? You may have to persevere beyond what you think you can do, and the Lord is with you. And so, beloved, I once, when I was at a conference one time, I once heard John MacArthur say that he thinks one of the problems with people is that we, in other words, he says, we often are weaker than we suppose, and we're often stronger than we give ourselves credit for. And it's always stuck with me when he said that because I am weaker than I suppose, but I do think sometimes we can sell ourselves short and think, well, I just can't endure that, when actually we can. What we're really saying is I don't want to. And there's a difference between, between saying I can't and I don't want to. I don't want to endure hardship, but I think I can. I don't want you to endure hardship, but I think and I know that you can because we are in Christ this morning. Verse 13, go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. I, this, is, this is a beautiful verse, very simple. <laughs> Live, die, and God will raise you up on that glorious day. So simple. Go to your rest is that you will go to the grave. You will die. Live. Live your life. Live faithfully. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. And you will die. It's inevitable. We're all going to, unless Jesus comes back first. We're going to die. And here's the promise. He says this to Daniel, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the day, at the end of days. Beloved, we shall rest and stand in our allotted place at the end of days, i.e., we have a resurrection hope. So what makes those 1,335 days passable? knowing that that's not the end, and that's not the last word. Jesus had the last word when he said it is finished. Beloved, every broken soul of God's people is mended through Christ in the gospel. The promise of eternal life and blessing has always been balanced with the promise of trial and hardship. And though we often cry out, how long? How long, O Lord? We are reminded repeatedly that the Lord is with his people even in the valley of shadow, leading us through. So Daniel reminds us that we do suffer many woes. We will. We have. We will in this world. But he also reminds us that God sent a Redeemer into the world to rescue us from eternal death. And all the Antiochuses in the world cannot thwart that. They can take our homes. They can take our money. They can take our groceries. They can take any amenities or luxuries that we have. They can take basic necessities, but the one thing that cannot be taken is the life that Jesus gave us. God saves us 
as far as the curse is found. And Jesus became a curse for us. He bore the wrath that we deserved, and he died the death that we earned. If you're in Christ this morning, that is true. It's true, period. But he did all this that we might have a life and hope that we could never merit ourselves. He gave us his life. And so that when the Lord looks on us, if you're in Christ this morning, he sees the righteousness of his son. I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to suffer. But in the face of all that is painful, that is good news. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this word this morning. It's power. The book of Daniel has been such a rich and helpful study as we have seen how we live in a world that hates you and hates us and wants to see the truth squelched. Father, give us grace and boldness to stand on truth and help us to know truth, to live truth, to love truth, to be compassionate with the truth, to be gracious with truth, but to never abandon it. Thank you for the truth we have in Christ. Be with us now as we go out. It's through his name we pray. Amen.